good fruit. Nicodemus. You didn't make a good fruit. Essentially, ask Jesus. Who are you? Indeed, we all ask that question. It is a part of the core of our culture. It is the question at the end of every Facebook post or proposition. It is the motivation behind 5.30 a.m. makeup sessions. And it is the quest for belonging at middle school lunch tables. Who we are. It drives us to know more about ourselves through therapy, to know more about the world through higher education, to know more about God through religion. Who we know ourselves can be, to be, affects the way that we see the world. But have you ever been that person whose presence becomes almost like a confrontation that you stick out so <laughs> exquisitely <laughs> that who you are seems to confront the institution that is around you. I know I've been that, in that situation many times. I've been in the room where I'm the only white person or where I'm the only woman in the room. I've been in rooms where uh, my privilege seems to stick out like a badge of shame. And I've been in a room where my lowliness could not be more obvious. <clears throat> See, I'm a feminist in an institution that is probably one of the most sexist institutions that still exist in the first world, the church. My very presence, in fact, in just a little exchange, in me meeting someone and sharing commonalities and saying, what's your name? What do you do? In me answering that question, it can become a sort of challenge to someone else. It can seem to that person like I'm picking a fight for sharing what I do. And sometimes I am picking a fight. <laughs> <laughs> but Jesus is like that too. And Nicodemus recognizes that. Jesus is like this challenge to the establishment. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He is part of this religious elite. He has this sense that there is a part of Jesus, a part of Jesus' identity, that confronts this institution that he's a part of. In our passage today, Jesus references this strange story in the Old Testament. And we read it a little bit earlier. It's this story where, uh, to give a little bit more context, basically... The Israelites, who God delivered out of Egypt, have been wandering in the wilderness for a really long time now. 
the manna that is, we can think about maybe a foreshadowing of the broken body of Christ that we participate in in the Eucharist. The manna that once was just this daily bread has become detestable, but there's some context to that, right? They need to go somewhere to get to the promised land. They need to go through Edom. And if you remember back, Edom, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And they are the descendants of Jacob, who gets renamed Israel after wrestling with God. So there are these two brothers, and they are the descendants of one brother, and they have to pass through the land of this other brother's descendants. And I can imagine if I was them, they, re- they send a request to the king, can we pass through your land? We won't do anything, we won't turn aside, you know. And the answer comes back, no. And they're not too happy about that. I think that in the Israelites' minds, maybe they were hoping for some brotherly hospitality. Maybe they were hoping to get to go in and not eat manna for a day. Maybe they were hoping that uh, the fare would be a little bit different and better for the moment. But, alas, no. They have to travel around the place, much further, through the desert, still eating manna the whole way. And so they start to complain. And they complain against Moses, and they complain against God. And they said, we hate this food. It's detestable to us. And the the text says that because of that, God sends these fiery serpents. There's a weird thought that I maybe shouldn't say, but it's so interesting. A few people have translated this like dragon. Anyway, we're going to stick with fiery serpent. There's not enough evidence for that interpretation. Fiery serpent. He sends this fire, these fiery serpents, and these fiery serpents bite and cause inflammation where they bite, and many Israelites die because of these bites. And because of their pain and because of their, um, you know, the death among them in their mourning, they cry out to God. And then God says to Moses, make a, a, a copper image of one of these fiery snakes and put it up on a pole resembles very closely an image we use for medical uh, buildings today. Uh, There is some evidence that that is not coincidental. Uh, Put the serpent on this pole. And when the people get bit, if they will look up at this pole uh, with this this snake on it, they'll look into the face of the snake, then they will be healed. Weird. My daughter, God love her. She can be like the Israelites sometimes. Uh, she, we had to work with her really, really hard because every night we would set her dinner plate in front of her. And the first word out of her mouth was, yuck! And then sometimes it wasn't even yuck. It was like, just break down into tears. <laughs> we had to work with her really hard that the, the correct response to dinner being set in front of you is not yuck, but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know? In fact, it was so bad at one point that as Daly was learning her words, she, when she was really enjoying some food, she would start to say, yuck, yuck. <laughs> because Story said it so much around food that she thought that 
feel like something entirely different. Depends how we see the world, right? It depends how what our perspective is. And how we see the world directly impacts our experience of it. Today in our passage, man, it is like probably the most famous passage in the world, right? Not Maybe not the whole passage, but at least two parts of it. The word born again, and then John 3.16. If I'm remembering correctly, there's even like a wrestler named John 3.16 or something. Or there was? No. Then he just like he just like put it on his face. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Tim Tebow. Never mind. Is it Tim Tebow a wrestler? So many, so many sermons have been preached on this passage. So many. And let's see. There's been so many like billboards, and like bullhorns and signs. I mean, I dare say as a, as a preacher that this passage is maybe being preached too much, right? <laughs> what possibly could come out of this passage? Yeah. What possible newness could be seen in this way overdone passage, way overcommunicated passage? But then, I started to see how much Nicodemus is like us. We may not be seeking the person that performs those miraculous signs to confront the institution. But we are, in our own ways, seeking these sort of the phrase golden unicorn, silver unicorn, rainbow, what is that? You know what I'm talking about? That phrase? A unicorn in our own lives. Things that tempt us, we have an appetite for them, and they tempt us to get hungry. We want to taste them. They're not bad things. They're things like practices that can sustain us. Policies that will protect us. Politicians that will save us. Companies that will promote us. Spouses that will love us. Friends that will accept us. Schools that will encourage us. A degree that will provide for us. It is a question of identity. Who am I? We also, like Nicodemus, have a hard time with the way that Jesus draws out a distinction between the physical and the spiritual. We always want these two things to coincide. We love words like holistic, sustainable, self-care, blessed, the ambiguity of those words is, is great. I mean, those can mean a spiritual reality, a physical reality, or both, right? 
We also love things like yoga, essential oils, social and emotional health, therapy, anything that kind of combines and puts everything together into one package so that we can have one complete understandable person. And I'm not saying that those things aren't good. I'm not saying that they aren't better than some of the contrived divisions that we've been handed down. But I suspect that we too would be confused if Jesus, like Nicodemus, if Jesus started saying, you must be born again. Because we, we like to strip everything also down to its physicality. If it is physical, it is spiritual, of course. Everything belongs. But I think that in doing that, we maybe are like Nicodemus, confused by Jesus' words about being born again. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that not everything that is physical, what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is that physicality doesn't guarantee abundant life. See, who we are and how we were born affects the way we see the world. From generational sin to poverty to abuse, we are born into sin in that at the moment of our conception, we are attacked by illness, evil, ill will, and the threat of all of those things. The sin that rewires our DNA destroys our vital habitats and fails to equip our children with the integral tools for life and spiritual connectedness. The question isn't, how do I find love, promotion, protection, encouragement, acceptance in my life? It's how do I see those things? Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born again from above. Jesus says that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Now in John's gospel, water is this, in German they would say, the, the scarlet thread. It's this line that connects everything, right? So you have this first, this first parable in Cana where water is turned into wine. Then you have this second thing that happens. Jesus cleanses the temple. And then we get to this, this passage about being born of water and spirit. And then next week, we will get into the woman at the well. In every passage, water is there. It's not the focus on the water so much. Water represents this physicality. It represents this, it's good, it's good. It's, it's, it's incarnational, right? It's this physicality of life. It is fleshly. The problem that Jesus brings up to Nicodemus is that we're looking for the spirit in the water. We're looking to the ground for the, for the heavens. And sure enough, 
there are there can be spirits in the water, as we see in Cana. Sure enough, beautiful things can be found on the ground. Spiritual things, earth-shattering, earth heavenly things can be found on the ground. But to see them, to experience them, we must stop looking to the birth of flesh and start looking to the birth of the spirit. We can't capture the wind. It blows wherever it pleases. That's why uh, people who are looking for balance say it's a constant struggle. It's a constant struggle to find balance. It's not a constant struggle. It's impossible. Like, balance is literally impossible. You can't control your life into the kingdom. You can only open your newborn eyes to the kingdom that already is. You can't sit down and fit God within the pages of your story. You are a part of God's story, not the other way around. We need a new birth to see that. Too much has been messed up. Our vision, our healing, our perception, it all deceives us. We are not enlightened naturally. Do you know what I never saw before about Jesus' answer to Nicodemus? Jesus says you must be born again. Now, in the King James Version, it's translated again, which is why we get that phrase, born again. Uh, in newer versions, you might get it translated from above. Or some people uh, try to merge those two and say, like, anew. Uh, the word in Greek, which I'm going to say wrong, is anothen. Maybe someone who knows Greek can help me there. There we go. I was like, mm, that was okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, anothen has two meanings. And it's subtle, but catch this. Two meanings. It means again, and it means above. It means both. But when you translate the Bible, you have to pick one, right? That's why they try to put them into a new. Because the complexity of what Jesus is saying is much more than what Nicodemus is reading. You know, it's, it's, it's not just again. It's, it's a new, or it's, it's, uh, it's not just again. It's also above. So... Here's a subtle thing. Again, it's temporal, right? It's something that has to happen in time. It's a temporal word. Above is a spatial word. It has to happen in a place, right? This word is like, there's a time and a place. If there's an English equivalent phrase. There's a time and a place. So who are you? Have you been born again? Was there a time and a place? Can you see the kingdom? Water is good. It's incarnational. It's fleshly. But the life and person of Jesus confronts us by saying it's not enough. That we are not enough outside of this new birth of the Spirit. That we are not who we are meant to be. 
until our spirits are reborn and our eyes are opened to this new reality. Back to the story of the serpent. Jesus said that uh, just like the serpent had to be raised up, so the Son of Man will have to be raised up. The people had to look at this snake if they wanted to be healed. And in Jesus' death, he was lifted up, like he predicted to Nicodemus. Like the snake in the desert, he becomes God's way of healing. Because being born of the Spirit is not easy. It's kind of, if you want to compare it to physical childbirth, I can attest to that, that that is not easy. But being born of the Spirit is also not easy. Because we have to look into the eyes of the things that have harmed us. The things that have hurt us. In order to do that. And also because the Spirit will call us to do things that we don't want to do. Just like Jesus was called to do things that he didn't want to do. But do you think you can step into the light? Do you think you can find who you are and what you're looking for if you don't confront your own darkness? Do you think you can be healed without looking up into the eyes of the humanity that harmed you? Who are you? We can't know until we're born from above. Water and spirit. Now at Kaleo we preach out of the Bible, but sometimes we also talk about Moana. <laughs> and in Moana, there's this great picture. It's this beautiful picture of the spirit. Have you seen who's seen Moana? It's a new children's Disney movie. I can tell you my whole theology of Moana another time, but there's this beautiful picture of the spirit. And it's the water. The water and the spirit have come together. It's it's like you don't really know what the water is doing. You don't know why it, it intervenes sometimes and doesn't intervene at other times. You don't know why it calls Moana. You don't know what is going on here. The water is this sort of strange force like the wind that is blowing wherever it pleases. But when Moana finally gets it, that it's not the water out there that's that it's inside of her. This is what she sings. I'm not even singing. <laughs> the call isn't out there at all. It's inside me. It's like the tide, always falling and rising. I will carry you here in my heart. You'll remind me that come what may, I know the way. And then she sings with 
great conviction her identity, who she is, who she finally realizes she is. She says, I am Moana. <clears throat> May you find the conviction of the spirit inside of you. May it confront your pain. May you look to Jesus. May you be born again. May you know who you are. May you know the way. Let's sing together.